Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. I uh, I just got a call about two hours ago, and I'm this is this is how weird Hollywood is. I'm I'm a hand double for a, a TV show coming out on HBO on Thursday, which is funny because a few months ago I was a hand insert for NCIS, and then just two weeks ago I was a photo double will stand in for Patrick Stewart because they wanted someone five foot ten and bald and then three weeks ago for the Ellen show I played Matt Lauer but just the top of his forehead so he was asleep so I'm coming to the conclusion that I'm good for the radio because the only things that people want to see me in is my hands or my head so I'm happy about that so anyway we have a we have Useful body parts, so yeah, know. exactly. So we have a great show. We have uh, this gentleman actually. He uh, he also he co-hosts the radio show up on uh, the WRM with Tom McDonough out there in Detroit, which also plays Cooper Talk. And our guest is Dave Bickler. How are you doing, Dave? Hi, Steve. I'm doing good. Good man. So 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 I'm I'm glad you can make it. So now, now you're back there in New York, right? Right. So what's right. Westchester County? So what's the weather like right now out there? It's it stinks really. It's uh, raining. You know, it's cold. It's kind of cool. It's not, listen, it's not that bad. It's like 45 degrees and it's raining, but it could be worse. Now, you're originally, you were born in North Dakota. I was born in North Dakota, yeah. Bismarck, North Dakota. Now, how long did you live there for? Uh, until I was, I think, three. And then we moved to Garrison Dam in North Dakota. I don't remember anything from there. I have a couple, I have some weird memory from... Bismarck stuck in my mind, and then and then we moved to uh, Wilmer, Wilmer, Minnesota. Um, my dad worked for Amico. He was like a salesman for Amico, uh, and uh, oh, Standard Oil. Actually, it was Standard Oil at the time. And uh, I, I remember kind of a lot about that. You know, I was like seven, you know, six, seven, eight years old when we lived there, and I, I have a lot of memories from there. And then we moved to Chicago when I when I was eight, and when I was in third grade. We moved to Chicago. Now, now, when did you when did you start singing? Were you were you a singer as a kid, or how how this whole singing career? My happen? parents um, my parents tell me that I was singing since day one, since I could basically stand up in my crib. I would I would say that's what my parents tell me, you know. So you know, I gotta believe them. So when did you decide? You know, as you you were a kid, when did you actually start being? noticing that you were singing? Like, were you sitting there? Was it a certain age where you just when you remember yeah, just building like, songs? You know, seventh, eighth grade. You know, we all wanted to have bands. You know, so uh, we had this little band with bongos, and you know, I played the trumpet in the band. But I, but I, I started singing then, and I was a backup singer in the, our band. We had in eighth grade, and the other guys in the band, uh, we, my my friend Phil, he was a great guy, but he couldn't sing. Um, they said, Dave, maybe Dave, you should try singing. So that's when I became <laughs> the lead singer in the band. And you know, it's like that's how it started in a. Then I saw the Beatles, you know, on, on Ed Sullivan. I know it's a cliche, but it's true that it just was like getting hit by lightning. You know, it was, it was just crazy. I I wanted to be those guys really bad, and so I, I that's how it got started for me. Well, it's amazing you say it's a cliche because so many people I know do say that. They saw them. I mean, was it just something you watched it, and was it the, the crowd that was going crazy? I mean, what just captivated you with them? It was the guys playing, and they're, it was the music. It was the harmonies. It was their voices. It was the 
you know, the guitars, that cool, those, you know, uh, Gretsch guitars with their box amps, man, <laughs> like, that killed me. That I still love that sound like none other, you know, like that particular Beatles, you know, uh, with the Gretsch guitars and the, and the box amps. Uh, there's something about that that's just uh, still, and uh, I just I just love that sound, man. So you're hooked on it. I am. Yeah. As a kid, and now, now what do you go? What do you do from there? Did you go into high school? Did you join more bands, or I mean, what, how do you start to sitting? Yeah. What, when does it go in your mind that you say, "This is going to be"? I want this to be my job. Yeah, it was right from there. When I was twelve years old, we played our first, played my first gig um, on the back lawn of my of the guitar players. You know, uh, his family, their house, and his sister was having a house. She was in high school, so they they hired us for fifteen dollars to play, and I have a picture of it me standing there singing my mic plugged into a super uh, fender super reverb you know and uh you know it's that was I, I was waiting for that gig to happen i couldn't wait for that to happen because you know i wanted to do it and i was also petrified at the same time what were you were just petrified of just if you if you if no one liked you or what were you scared of because i know i've performed being, scared of being in front of people it was scary. It was scary so so you sit there you do that and you're on your way and you go, this is my career. So now where does your career take you next? Now, do you, when, when do you sit there and when you graduate high school, what are your plans? What do you want to do? Well, you know, I was in a band and a band and a band and a band and graduated high school. And then the, the one band I was in, the Jamestown Massacre, um, uh, the bass player's dad was Mark Zapel, my good dear friend Mark Zapel's father, uh, Arthur Zapel, worked for J. Walter Thompson. And he uh, heard me sing and... He got me hooked up with a jingle producer, so I started singing commercials so you, in Chicago. You were singing commercials, or were you writing them, or doing both? Singing, singing, yeah, no, singing. And then at that point, commercials started to change. It was like before that, it was like you know, uh, the it was very you know fifties kind of thing, and and then the sixties were happening, so they were looking for they were looking more for uh, you know rock singers, kind of you know it started to pervade advertising a bit. So I, I found a uh, I found an opportunity to get into that and, and to sing, you know, and, and do jingles, and it was great because you know they actually paid you money, real money. So what would you do? Would you would you go to a studio and they would say, okay, here's what you're going to sing, and they would have a band behind you, or what was the whole process? Yeah, they had the band. The band would play first, and then you'd come out and, and they'd give you a script. And and I, I I had read music, a little bit of reading, but I wasn't very good at it. And most of the other singers were really good at it, but I. My ear was, I was quick with my ear so I could pick up on them, you know, uh, sing, sing with the uh, groups of uh, people or by myself, you know, it just was a bunch of stuff, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and Pepsi, Coke, you name it. You know? See, that's so cool because, you know, you know, it's so funny because, you know, we watch commercials and so many, uh, so many songs stick in your mind, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, there's a place called Take Your Car get behind the wheel of your automobile and go down onto ideal and you always wonder you, you never really sit there and think about who sang that and then you know then when you after years you go well someone has to sing all those songs right <laughs> and it, it was you know it was huge then as far as uh you know the, the that business of singing you know in commercials it was it was big it was like you know there's a great demand for it and so now you're you're singing away and now are you involved in any bands at this time when you're singing yeah, I was. I was always in. A, I was always in a band of some kind, and uh, but it was. Um, that's that's actually how I met Jim Peterick. I'd seen him with the Eyes of March, you know, at like some you know high school. I went there and saw that them play. Right. And, uh, but he was a, he was singing jingles too in Chicago because he was in between bands and he had he had a, his solo project he was doing. So him and I were singing commercials together, 
And uh, so he approached me and said, you know, maybe, you know, maybe uh, you could form a band and, you know, you could sing with the band. And uh, it seemed like an opportunity to me, like to step up to, you know, doing original music, you know, and all that. So I, I, I jumped at that. So you guys joined the band. Now, how do you form the whole band? I mean, it, you know, was well, there... so you know, Jim Peter really did. He, he, you know, what, it, part of the band was the rhythm section was uh, uh, Gary Smith and uh, and uh, Dennis Johnson, who were the, they were like one of the part of the top rhythm sections, the, the jingle rhythm sections. And those guys, they would play those jingles, which were pretty staid stuff, you know, pretty pretty uh, pedestrian stuff. But then in between, they would just play those guys, all the hot session guys, and it was that was pretty spectacular. You know, it would make your hair stand on end because it was, you know, some crazy stuff. And they were they were originally with the Bill Chase band. So you guys all start to form a band, and now how do you decide who's going to sing? Because you said Jim was still singing uh, jingles, and you were singing jingles. How do you decide what's going to happen? But the reason they brought me in is because I was a tenor. You know, Jim, Jim Peter was not a tenor. He's, you know, and... That was what was going on. You know, they, you know, the band. Then you, you had to have a tenor. You know, so that was me. And now, so, go ahead. So, so now that's how Survivor formed. That's how Survivor formed. Now, now, how'd you get the name? Um, I forget what we had a name. Uh, I forget what our original name was, but it was taken. Okay. So Survivor. <laughs> I, I, I think it was Jim Peterick that came up with it, but it, it seemed like uh, appropriate. And I was all the tender age of, you know, 27 years old. But I'd already been around the block, I felt. And everybody else, you know, had, had done, you know, a lot of stuff and, and played in band after band after band. So we felt like survivors. So they kind of they kind of fit, you know. So you start, you start, now you start booking some gigs. I mean, how do you get to getting from starting the band to getting a record deal? Well, it, it was, you know, as far as gigs and stuff, we were lucky because, you know, Jim Peterick had... Uh, he, he'd been already playing out as a solo artist, you know, so he'd been playing the clubs. So we were able to, um, you know, um, capitalize on that and, and, and play, you know, original music and get away with that. So then we made a demo, you know, we made a demo. And we sent it out to the world and nothing happened <laughs> for six months. <laughs> no response to that demo. And we were getting kind of, you know, despondent about that. But then uh, somebody came and gave a phone call and said, you know, uh, we like your demo and we'd like to talk to you and it was it got hooked up with the Scotty Brothers you know right <laughs> we did a showcase for those guys and uh, you know so they wanted to sign us they, at that time it was Scotty Brothers they were a custom label distributed by uh, Atlantic so, so you we signed to uh, we signed to Scotty Atlantic at that time now back then was it when you signed was it was it like uh, for one album two albums was there a, a you know, how did you sign? How was the deals? Okay, let me tell you about that. Yeah, it was probably like six albums, and the way it worked, of course, is this slave labor thing where you—they promise to make your first album, and if that does well, or if it doesn't do well, they have the option to make the other five albums, but they don't have to. So you could become a slave and be left in limbo for the rest of your life at their behest. If that first album, and by the way, our first album, it you know it's a regional success, but it didn't sell well. So we we did get to make that second record. They did uh, make that second one, Premonition. But you know the record contracts were astonishingly, you know, unfair, and uh, it, it felt 
I, at the time, I had no idea. I just was so happy to be in a band signed to a record label that I didn't even know the details. I really didn't. I've, I've heard that a lot. I've heard like, you know, now, you know, it's like you can make a record easily. But back then it was such a big deal to make a record that a lot of times you just were so excited for getting, as you said, getting signed. And, and it's very costly too. Very costly then because, you know, he had to go to a major studio and he had to get, you know, I mean, it, it just cost a ton of money to make a record then. Now, was it you guys putting the money out or does the company puts it out? Oh, they put it out. Recoupable. Thank you very much. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's always crazy when you think about that. Now, now how do you think has it changed a lot for the artist now? Well, yeah, it has. I mean, most people make their own record, including myself. You know, I pay for it myself, so uh, own the own the masters and own it, and then at least you have that option to, uh, you know, make your own decisions. In those days, it was uh, it was uh, crazy, man. So, so you're sitting there, you're in Survivor, you guys are doing well, and then, now, now how did Eye of the Tiger come about, and, and did you ever think that, it's so funny, because you know, you're on Today, a girl I know who was on Facebook, she posted, she, she works out, she's doing one of those bodybuilding contests, and she wrote that how, you know, she said, oh, you know, I have to get up early, and you know, you keep running when you hear Eye of the Tiger, and I just laughed, because you're on, on the show the next day. But when you guys were putting that song together, did you ever think it would just become this phenomenon? Because, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I know a ton of people. And I don't think I know anybody who doesn't know that song. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Including, like, when I was, uh, you know, singing for my, you know, locally here for the, uh, the Village Nursery School kids, you know. They, all those kids are four years old, and they all knew about Eye of the Tiger. You know, it's like pretty, pretty crazy, man. Um, but at the time, of course, I didn't have any idea of that. I thought it was cool, and uh, you know, obviously, it was this cool uh, opportunity to be, you know, in the movie with uh, you know uh, Rocky Three, and to be not only in the movie but the, the opening sequence of the film where you know the song is is uh, matched up to the to that fight scene. Right. That was pretty spectacular, you know? and, and I saw the value of that when I went to the theater and saw the movie, and <laughs> like became apparent to me that we had uh, you know uh, fell into something pretty pretty amazing. What is that like? I, I talk to a lot of actors who go to theaters and they see themselves in the movie, but what is it like when you're the artist and it's your voice and you're sitting there watching it and you're going, do you, is it just blow you away? Because like if you're an actor and you're in the movie, everyone knows you're the actor because you look like them. But when you're the guy who sings the song, I mean, that must just be a really cool, cool feeling because everyone's getting pumped to it and inside you're the only person who knows it's you. Yeah, no, the thing was is that after the thing, people stood up and clapped. <laughs> so I thought, oh man, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of amazing. I've never heard, I've never, I've been to a lot of movies that I've never, I've never seen that. Yeah. Now, now, was it, did you always wear a beret? Because everyone knows you're the beret. Was that something you... Not, not always, it just, you know, something I, I uh, affected at some point, <laughs> Cause you you brought the beret in. I mean, I'll be honest. You know, I you know we all we all watch videos, and and you were the guy. It was like you and the guardian angels were wearing berets, and you guys made berets cool. Well, you know, I I wanted to, I wanted to be cool, man. That's what I wanted to. I wanted to be cool. <laughs> so what's it like? Because now all of a sudden, the, and back then videos were so popular. Now no one really watches videos because you can find any video on YouTube. But you guys got a heavy rotation on MTV. Did people people start recognizing you? I mean, was it was it what was that like? 
You know, not not so much. I mean, I, I you know sometimes, but you know, Survivor was kind of a little bit of a faceless band. You know, kind of. You know, so I mean, I, I didn't walk down the street and people. You know, I didn't wear my beret all the time either. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess maybe that's why. But uh, you know, you know, we went on the road. You know, and, and everything changed. Of course, then we were. We'd done, you know, we'd done gigs, we'd done, you know, uh, like concert clubs, and we'd done some colleges, and we'd done stuff like that, but then, then we started playing the big arenas. So what's that like to go from playing small things to the big arenas, and, and as a as an artist, I mean, it must be an amazing feeling, but is it is it something that there's more pressure when you do that, because there's more people and you really have to deliver? You know, I didn't feel the, the pressure, really, because, you know, we were a pretty well-oiled machine by that time, so... You know, we went up and played, and you know, you got your mates to back you up. You know, you're you're, you're pretty confident. You know, I really didn't feel that. Now, the bigger, bigger the better. Now, bigger the better, man. Now, now, did you get to go to the Oscars? No. <laughs> yeah, I thought, but you were you were you were nominated, weren't you, for an Oscar? Yes, we were nominated. I, 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 well, I think uh, the songwriters went. You know, but you kind of like that. don't don't get me started. Don't get me started. Don't get you started. Now you won a Grammy though. Yes. Now, now that must be a great feeling. Yes. I mean, you know, for, for any artist, you know, in the music business, it's a great feeling to get a Grammy. It's really, you know, it's really a great thing. So now you're playing, and then and you guys are together for a while. But then, did you run into a health problem? Is that what happened? I did. Yeah, I got a polyp on my vocal cords, and um, so right in the middle of the tour, we were out with Ario Speedwagon. I had to go have surgery, and. Um, they told me before the surgery, the doctor, Dr. Mickler is in Louisville, Kentucky, said that you have just a 20% chance that you will never sing again after the operation. So when I went under, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, this could be it, you know. But it was successful, and uh, you know, I came out of it okay. But the, the problem was is that then we went uh, two weeks off after, after surgery and then back on the road. So you don't really recover that much. No, no, no one would. No one would do that. Now, nobody, nobody would, would ever let that happen. Oh no! Yeah, a doctor would say no. You're you're quarantined. You got to stay in your room. You're crazy. You just take six months off. You know? Now, what was it like though to sit there and, and you know when you think about you know your voice is your God given talent and you've been using it. I mean, is it something that was very terrifying? And when you dis, when you came back and got it back, it must have been a very uh, resilient feeling. Yeah, it was it, it was uh, that that was the that was the craziest part of all of that, you know. And like you said about the concerts and the and the, the, the and playing in front of people, that was all fine. But you know that that was really hard for me. It was really tough. Now, how did you know you had it? Did you did your voice start hurting? Or I mean, because you know it's. I mean, I got hoarse, which I never got hoarse. I was never hoarse. So I, I would like after singing, I would get hoarse, and it was like you know something that never happened to me. So that's how I that's that's why I went to see the doctor. You know? It's just, it's just, well, thank God you got it early enough. Yeah, you know, but honestly, you know, the polyp, you know, you, it, it's, it'll, it, it's something that, you know, surgery can fix. And, and, of course, those days, though, it was much more primitive. It was the knife. Now it's, uh, you know, laser surgery with computers, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a lot different than it was then, you know, and that, kind of, that kind of surgery. So then, then you left Survivor. Yeah. And was that a, a, a was it a mutual breakup or was it you just didn't want to tour anymore or what happened? I don't know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, no. It, I didn't want. It's not that I didn't want to tour. I just, you know, that uh, you know, 
on the road, Survivor. The pressure was on me. And, you know, uh, it was just intense. It was intense, you know, about performance. Everybody was looking at me and, you know, looking for the slightest flaw, the, the slightest the wrong note, the slightest, you know what I mean? I was being under a microcosm. That, that end of that tour was just, it was terrible, man. It was really terrible. It, the pressure was intense. Yeah, it must have felt like you were walking on eggshells, which none of us want to do that. No, it, it was. And, you know, the back of the bus, the guys would listen to the, uh, a, a tape, a cassette tape from the board. Uh, and basically, it was just me. You couldn't even hear the instruments because, you know, it, it was from the, you know, feet off the, up the, you know, front of the house uh, console. And uh, it, it was terrible. <laughs> I dreaded every night. Every night I dreaded it. So, I was being examined, you know, for my performance. See, that's awful. That's not cool. I don't like that. I'm not, it was awful. When, when I got off that tour, I was just totally screwed up so, so you're you, you figure you're done because you don't need that you don't need that crap which you don't so now where do you where do you decide to go do you you know because you want to go back to jingles you've had success people know you they know your name they know your voice you've had a you won a grammy where do you decide to do do you have to do did you have to do some major recouping and did you ever also worry about if your throat problems will come back uh, absolutely all the above yeah sure all of it and, and i did eventually get back into doing jingles and you know, I did, you know, but I, I kind of just, you know, disappeared for a while, man. You know, just kind of, you know, checked out for a bit. I did. So what made you decide, if you checked out, what made you decide to get back into it? Did you just sit there and go, you know what, this is what I do, this is what I love, I need to get it done? Yeah, of course, of course, because it's like breathing, you know. It's like, uh, you know, I, I love music and uh, I love, I love uh, recording, I love performing, I love all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't stay... And that's what I, I do, that's who I am, and, you know, I had to get back into it. So you sit there, and now what was your first jingle you got back when you started doing jingles again? Was that something, must have been something that you know you weren't going to be in a microcosm, because they're, they're having you come in to sing, so that must have been pretty stress-free. Yeah, because, you know, that's, you know, you walk in, you know, they, again, the same thing, you know, here's the thing you do, you sing this, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, it, but... At all time, and, and during that time, then I started to I, I started to you know uh, projects together and some bands, you know, and some good ones too. You know, we we made some recordings and you know, but it didn't quite you know, uh, for whatever reasons, you know how it is, you know, trying to get something off the ground, it didn't didn't. But uh, it, it, so eventually, I um, you know, fast forward to nineteen ninety three. And uh, I'm back in Survivor. So <laughs> I said I never would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd that happen? And when you went back, did you sit there and go, "Hey, man, I don't need this crap. I don't need to be under a microcosm." What happened to bring you back in then? I, just, I wanted to get up and play, man. You know, I wanted to, you know, and it, and, uh, it was where I came from, and so it, it, you know, it was fun. Yeah. Now, how long did that last? Uh, from 1993 to 1999. Okay. Now, was was it a better time for you this time? When you, I mean, did you feel like you were being examined the whole time again? No, but you know, it was yeah, it was a lot better. We we, we recorded a bunch of stuff too. We did a bunch of original music, and you know, a lot of it that's never heard of it's out, it's out there on the internet. You know, it's all this stuff we did. Um, but but at the same time, Jim Jameson, who was my replacement, was out playing as Survivor. So there was two Survivors. There was my Survivor, and there was Jimmy's Survivor. And I didn't know Jimmy at all. You know, I didn't know him at all. You know, so it was a, there was a, a war going on with all that to control the name of Survivor. That's so I've seen that happen. It's so funny because, like in the world of comedy, I remember Gallagher 
had his brother was Gallagher two, and his other brother was Gallagher three. And the only way you knew the difference of Gallagher, regular Gallagher and Gallagher two and Gallagher three was from exclamation points. Now, I mean, it's it's weird when you think about it. It's like if, if some people were going to think they're going to see Gallagher, and they see just Gallagher's brother. But with the band, when when you guys did the split, how does that happen? I mean, didn't you guys? I mean, you guys are the originals. Don't yeah. you get to control the name? Well, what it was was that that they made Too Hot to Sleep, that last album with Jimmy Jameson, um, and it didn't it didn't sell well, and the guy the band exploded apart, you know, and the the songwriters they figured they were going to start their solo careers, and you know they didn't need it, and so Jimmy kind of picked it up and went went and ran with it, and. Made, made it Survivor, so he was a Survivor band, and then those guys thought better of it, and they, they wanted it back. So, it now when you came back, what, 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 I mean, how, how did people tell the difference? Was it Survivor 1, Survivor 2, Survivor with Dave Bickler? I mean, how, how did you, could people tell the difference? I don't know. <laughs> I, and I actually liked singing Jimmy's songs. I, I got a kick out of it, you know, because <laughs> I thought there, there was some really good stuff there, so I, I, I you know, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. But, <laughs> You know, that must have been cool though, because you got to learn new songs too. I mean, you get, it's a whole new learning process for you. Playing with guys you know, it must be a, a good time. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good and bad. Now, and of course, in the end, in the end, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell all here. Yeah, you know, they got control back control of the trademark, and uh, then they fired me. And <laughs> just why was that? You know, because then Jimmy Jameson came back. It was the and the revolving door revolved, and uh, Jimmy came back. See, that's—I mean, it, it's just—it's so weird. You don't—you don't. It's just these some bands. You guys go through so much sometimes, and people don't really notice because they just hear the songs. But it must be—it must be that must be one problem with being in a band that certain things happen and you just get broken apart. Yep. <laughs> so then. You sit there now. When did you do, which are probably the Bud Light Real Men of Genius, are probably one of the most classic ads ever. How did that come about? Did you ever think that that would sit there and just be so, uh, people would just love them? No, I didn't think so. Although, um, I, uh, my friend Sandy Tirano uh, in Chicago at Scandal Music, you know, we, we'd sang jingles together. He formed his own production company. And he called me and said they're looking for an 80s rock singer. And I, he said, I, I, how about, you know, did a Bickler? And they said, can you get that guy? And, I, and he said, sure. And they didn't even know that I'd already sang a bunch of commercials for those guys. You know, the guys that had been on uh, DDP and Ennis, of course. They had no, they forgot that I sang a whole bunch of commercials for them already. So anyway, I walk in and they say, we're doing eight spots. And I'm like, eight spots, man. This is a lot, you know, for, for a commercial session. And um, then it was this crazy thing where Pete Stacker is doing this nutty, you know, um, his persona, you know, of Bud Light presents real men. And I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> and we sort of created my, 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 my character that, that very first session with those things. And, and it just took off, you know. I mean, it, nobody heard anything. It was, it was like a little sitcom. In a commercial, a little you know sitcom. Every one of those was different, and unlike every other commercial I'd done, the, the script was malleable. They they would let you. They, they we could try anything, and they, we would try it, see if it was funny, and if everybody laughed, then it you know they they put it in the commercial. Really unusual campaign. Well, what's what's cool about it was you said you are right. It was like I mean it was like a little sitcom, and you would sit there and you would hear it, and it was one of those things where. 
you know, years later, you be, you know, you sit there and you're like, you'd be on YouTube and you wanted to hear them all because they were just so, they're just different, but they were so funny that the, the copy for, and the characters were just amazing. Yeah, it, it was really amazing. And then, and then along the way, uh, like, like, you know, after it had been on, you know, I think it was about 2003, they, they, they said, maybe you take you out and do some, you know, public relations stuff for this. And, and we went out and we, I went to, it was in New York and they, they, we went to some uh, TV station or something and we were having an interview and, and I kept saying, you know, you guys, you've got to get Pete Stacker into this because, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's the funny and, you know, he's got to be there. So they, they did, they said, well, let's put us together. So then we got, went out and started touring around doing, you know, our little bit. We, we did, you know, all kinds of uh, stuff for the NFL and for, you know, uh, Major League Baseball and for NBA. And we'd go write up a custom spot for those, and we'd do it ourselves. Pete, being the, you know, I have to give him credit for writing most of it, and I would, you know, you know, uh, we we collaborate then and make something funny, and uh, it, it was just, it was incredible. It was really, really fun. So, so you were sitting here, you you were going, were you were you going to live events like live games or? I was, I was, I got to sing the national anthem in front of seventy thousand people, and you know, we do our bit on the field. It was like crazy, man. What's it like? Okay, I'm had to be fat. It taught me how to be fast on my feet. I'll tell you that. Now, what's it like to get to sing the national anthem? I mean, that's got to for me as a singer. I don't care how good of a singer you are. That's got to be one of the worst, one of the most nerve wracking events. Just because one, the crowd's so loud. Two, people are very critical. Like if you go on a talk show and you sing a song and you, you don't do that great, they can pass. But if you screw up the national anthem, people get critical. Do you remember what game it was you sang it for? You know, I, I many of them, many of them. I, I do remember one particular. There was two particular ones, and I don't even know what stadium it was. But it was I, they they put me on a little wooden platform on the fifty yard line and in the middle of the field, just me and seventy thousand people. And I've never been more scared in my life. I was never scared like that with the band because you got the band around you, you got your you got your mates, you know, and it's it's all you know you you, you got you got backup. But I was by myself and I was petrified. Man. But it went it went okay, it went okay. And the other time was when when I was at play at the United Center in Chicago because my um, my mom my dad had passed away. My mom you know was living in assisted living but Anzer Bush was gracious enough to send a limo for my mom bring her to the thing and my the rest of my whole family bring them there to the thing and I sang the national anthem you know at the United Center for the Bulls game and I was it was really great now are you, are you a big sports fan you know yeah mostly football mostly football for me. are you a Bears fan I am a Bears fan no, no. long suffering nah you know you guys I'm an Eagles fan so we have it we have it uh, at least we have at least you've won something but uh, now, did you ever get to sing at uh, Soldier Field? No, I never did. I never did. That's what you got to try to do. You got to get. You got to get to sing the national anthem at a, at a Bears game. I guess that would be on my bucket list. Then I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can do something about that and call somebody or something. And, yeah. So, so now, how long? How long did these? As a native uh, son, right? As a native son, shouldn't I be able to, you know, pull it off? Dude, I have the tiger. And you know how many stadiums play that song? You, you, they should sit. I'm telling you, that's that's. We gotta, we gotta get you that gig, because I mean, I mean, being a football fan, being a Bears fan, how amazing would it be to sing at a at a Bears game? I mean, would it just be for you? Would it be incomparable just for the fact that you're singing the national anthem for a team you love? Hell yes. <laughs> now, 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 
how long did these commercials run for? Because I know you guys, how many, and how many did you make? We made it 250. So and, we, we, and she, not, all, not all of them got on the air because some of them, some of them were so crazy that I was going like, really? I, you know, I didn't think they could go on the air because <laughs> they were, you know, Mr. Edible Underwear Inventor. You know, that, that just, you know, I thought, how's that going to be on the radio, man? That seems a little bit tough for American audiences, but... But um, so some of them were so over the top that they, or they, they were on just for a short time because they offended somebody, like something about the backyard barbecue inventor uh, and the guy, you know, blew up his, his grill and they said, oh my God, the fire, the fire department, you know, association said, that's, that's crazy, you can't say that. The, you know, so they pulled that one like after uh, like five days or something. So a lot of those, but we made a lot of them. And uh yeah, it was, it was nuts, man. Two hundred fifty commercials—that's just—that's just unbelievable. I mean, you think about it—that's so that's much like damn a, content. Like eleven years. So, and so now, and now, just—I mean, it must have been a blast having it, and just, you know, I mean, did, did people know when the commercials were on that you were the guy from Survivor? Or, I mean, or how did people find that out, or did, was that just a random fact? Yeah, some people Now, as you're doing these, are you also playing music and performing music and trying to get back into the field? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a, I'm working on my solo record right no, now. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, back then. Oh, back then. Um, yeah, no, I was, I, it, I was starting to, to, you know, get that together and starting working on that back then. It when Real Metagene was kind of winding up. I started, uh, you know, working on the solo record. You know. So how does it? Um, when, go ahead. That's you know, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I started, and now I'm finishing it. So when you, when you're going to sit there and you're going to do a solo record, is it? It's a very. I'm sure it's a very big task. What were your plans? Were you were you going to write all the songs yourself, or were you going to co-write them? And how do you start that whole process? Because it is such a huge thing to do. Because it's just you, and I guess you find people for the bands. But how do you start that whole process of doing it? Yeah, well, I. I, I figured the first thing I was going to need was a, a, a great drummer because you know in music that I that I like to do you know that you know that that's an essential component. So I, I had a friend of mine, uh, Jeremy Holiday, uh, over at Sony, and I asked, I asked him about that. I said I look for you know a drummer. He he turned me on to a guy by the name of Ryan Hoyle who you know played for Collective Soul and uh, he, he toured with Paul Rogers for for a bunch of years. You know and, and so I went to his, his website, and you can see he's got a custom drum, you know, studio. And um, when I heard him drumming, I, I, I just knew that that was the guy I wanted to be on my record. So I went out to L.A., and I brought my tracks, you know, that I'd recorded at home. And, you know, he played to those. And, and then I brought his drums home and replayed everything, you know, uh, uh, to, to go along with his drum tracks. And that's how, that's how it got how I, you know, got going and Tom, I started working on this project. So you play, you play all the instruments? I play guitars, you know, but I, I also bass with Brad, Brad Smith, who, uh, who played with Blind Melon. He played a bunch of bass parts for me. And I played, I played a lot of guitars and Patrick, Patrick uh, Miller, another guy from Nashville played some. And, and now we're in the studio. I, I went into mix. Um, it was Stephen Dakutis, uh, you know, at, at Sound Spa, but, also, we started replaying all this stuff and adding parts. So, you know, it's like now it's like four days to just to get the parts recorded. And, and but I've got two things, you know, in the can. Now, now, how do you find your inspiration for when you write a song? I mean, where does it come from? Because it's 
I've always thought that I've gotten I've given songwriters so much credit because you know as a kid you always want to screw around and I have a comedy background so you want to try to do like you know a funny song like a you know you know the lyrics you know rhyming but how do you sit there and I mean when you write a song is there a process where you go okay something needs to rhyme or this is rhyming how do you sit there do you just look at the paper and it comes out and you start writing it or where do you where does that come from? You know, it's it's like you always. For me, it usually starts with music, some musical idea, you know, something, and put that down, and kind of get a groove going. And then it's kind of you know it suggests something in your mind, you know, and you put something maybe maybe the first thing you come up with about that concept it ends up being nothing to do with what you end up with, you know. It's kind of like that, you know. And just write about I write about I write songs about stuff that that happened to me or that means something to me, um, you know. I mean, it, 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 you know, something that has meaning for me, you know? Now, now it's got to be a certain uh, feeling when you're doing that, but you're also, you're, when it's all you, when you're writing the songs and, and you know, all that, it, it's got to be pressureful for the fact that it's, that's your baby. Like, if you sing a song you don't write, you're singing a song. But if you're singing a song that you write, it's got to be a, a whole other level of pressure saying, I really have to deliver Absolutely, and uh, you know that's that's the good thing about now when I'm finally uh, you know getting into you know the, getting these things really committed to uh, a final version of these songs. Um, uh, the guy I'm working with, uh, he he's pointed that out to me. <laughs> People want to hear you sing, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. You know, so step up the game. You know, out of your home studio, and uh, you know make you work a little harder. You know, to, to bring it home. Now. Yeah. In in 2013, did you get back with Survivor? Were you supposed to get back with Survivor? Yeah, oh yeah, I did. Oh yeah, next next reboot was uh, you know get a call from Frank Sullivan and he said uh, you know keep an open mind because I said I'd never come back. That he said I'd become friends with Jimmy Jameson. We had done some shows in Chicago together and he just got to be friends with him and loved him. And you know I I didn't meet him until you know you know I don't know 2010 or something and. Uh, you know, so she said, let's get you guys both back, you know. Let's, let's do, and I always thought that would be a good idea anyway. I thought that's the way it should be because Survivor had two eras, me and, and Jimmy's era. And so when we got together and rehearsed in Chicago, it sounded really, it sounded so good. I was, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's do this, you know. And it was fun. It was fun. And up until, you know, fortunately and sadly and tragically, uh, Jimmy died. Now, what was it like when you met with him? I mean, like, it just is it like, was it like like the Jet Sharks in the in the old West Side Story? Was there like a rivalry between you guys? Like, even though you didn't really know each other and you you had nothing to do with your leaving and him and everything, what was it like when you was it an awkward feeling when you met him for the first time? I mean, it must be weird. Mutual admiration society, you know, really. And then we were in the hotel. I was in a. We went to Chicago to do a show with Jim Peters. It was, just, you know, it was one of his uh, world stage things or the sound stage thing, which never got aired. Oh, by the way. But um, so I'm walking down the hallway, and then this guy's walking down the hallway, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and he goes, Dave Bickler. <laughs> Jim Jesus. So, you know, we did the show, and we had a really good time, you know, and, and, and he's just, he was just a lovely man. He was just, he was so funny, too. I mean, he was just, you know, just a really great sense of humor, so, and, you know, a great art, great singer. Great singer. Now, now, when you went back on the road, is it a different feeling? I mean, the fans are still there, but what's it like to be back on the road singing the songs you sang years ago? No, it, 
it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I, I did enjoy it. Um, and of course, in the end, though, I always am lured to do something new. You know, I, I always want to. And so I, I, at the same time, I was, you know, paying attention to working on the, my solar project and wanted to get it, wanted to get it, you know, moving along. And um, and that didn't sit well with some people, you know, me doing that, as a matter of fact. Now, you said you now your solo project, you know, you've been working on it. Now, how far are you into it now? I mean, is it how many songs do you have done? Two. Now, you have two songs done. Now, how long will a song take? Like when you sit there from creation to finishing and do you have to sit there and do you really have to find go for your own personal self? Do you no, go over I've with got, a fine coat? I've got the basic tracks. I've got drums, bass. i got a bunch of guitars. i got my, my vocals. And so now I'm going to the studio and then we spend about, you know, three days, you know, making sure all that's working and, and right, you know. And I'll re-sing, I, I re-sing everything anyway. <laughs> so it's like, so I re-sing it. And we're doing all that, and then by that, by three days, we're back to you know, like okay, now we got something we can mix, you know. So that's how it's going. So. And you have two songs. Yeah, I got two songs. Now, how many? I feel good about that. Now, how many do you want to have? I mean, I mean, I mean, is there, is there something? Because nowadays it's different, where you can put one song out at a time, which is cool. But I mean, how many do you do you want to sit there and get enough for a whole album, or are you going to take it by leisure? Ten songs, I'm old fashioned ten songs. I'm not going to put 18 songs on the record. It's going to be 10 songs. Now, are they all written? But yeah. Oh, yeah. So now, how, how long do you think it will take you to uh, to do it? Well, June, you know, June, mid-June, I think will be done. So once you get done, what's the process of releasing the album now? Because it's different because you're not going through the, you're doing it yourself, as you said. You're not going through the record companies. What's it like now these days when you sit there and want to release a record? Well, I've got, I've got a lot of good people to help me out with that, you know marketing and all that stuff so yeah now are you, are you going to want a tour I would love to yes now if now if you went on a tour could you also play Survivor songs or is that not allowed or how's that work uh, good question good question I think I think I I think I'm allowed I think I'm allowed no would you want to that's the question oh yeah oh yeah of course of course now I've got some you know, some songs I would I would love to perform so, a lot of stuff that you know, there's another thing about Survivor. I always felt that we didn't play some songs that we could have played, you know, live, you know. And so I will, I will touch on some of that stuff that never got heard really live. Like, what are some of those songs? Are they also are they strong songs for your uh, for your vocal track? Yeah, sure. Now, now, how'd you end up doing that? How'd you get into the radio thing? I know you, you know, was this something new to you, or had the time approach you, or what? How did how did this whole radio thing with uh the WROM in Detroit come up, come around. Yeah, they asked me for an interview, and then I got to talking to Tom McDonough, you know, about that. He said, oh, "Let's do a radio show." And I said, uh, "Oh, okay, well, I, I would be into that." Talking about new music and all that stuff, it's it's a lot of fun, you know. It's it's uh, you know what I had fun talking about. So yeah, that's how it came about. He just he just asked me if I'd like to do it. Now, how do you how do you find the bands that you? Uh, do you, you find the music? I mean, you, are you an avid listener of all kinds of music? Are you always looking for something new? I'm always looking for something new. I'm always, you know, prowling around, you know, in iTunes and stuff and looking for something new. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it, again, it's uh, sometimes it's few and far between. But, uh, yeah, we, see, we, we found some cool cool stuff that I, that I really liked. You know, a band called Kaleido I particularly liked, you know. Yeah, to, it's kind of like no doubt, you know, when they started out, you know, it's she really got a really cool voice, you know, and uh, I liked it. Yeah, it's fun. 
Now, now, what are some of the bands that have influenced you through your life? I mean, we know you said you saw the Beatles and it changed your life. But what are some of the bands that you look back and say, man, that's just one band that really I'm glad I got to listen to them. And, and did you ever meet any of them? No, I really didn't meet anybody. <laughs> you know, but I, the bands that influenced me, you know, was, was you know after after the Beatles was you know the Rolling Stones and Cream and Jimi Hendrix and uh, you know the Who and uh, you know Led Zeppelin. You know, I remember I remember Led Zeppelin. That's like my, my, I didn't have a stereo of my own. My my dad had one of those console things in the living room, and my brother had an electronic set. With, speakers that came with it so I wired it up to the back of the thing there was some speaker outlets and I made a headphones of my own so I listened to the Led Zeppelin album and I and all that you know you know going back and forth between the speakers which you I didn't you didn't hear that on the radio because it was mono and it was like it blew my mind it blew my mind yeah, whatever I, it's so funny, it's true, because, you know, when you do, when you hear the radio back then, it wasn't the same, and, you know, and then you'd hear it on a stereo, and you'd be like, holy crap, it was just, it was, it was amazing, especially with, like, the Zeppelin, with even just, like, all their songs, I mean, I remember I wanted to play guitar, and I, I have no musical talent, but I remember I was so happy, because I, I learned, like, the first few chords of Heartbreaker, and that was one thing, and everyone knew that song, and then everyone was amazed that it kicked from that song straight to Living, Loving, which no, no, no one did that back then. Like there wasn't a break between the song. It was like two seconds. Right. So now, now who besides that new group you said the one you like? Who are some of the other groups that you like now? And and uh, is there people that are, are you know you really look forward to hearing? Uh, yeah, let's see. Um, you know when Adele came out. It was like just the most amazing thing, um, transcendent voice, you know, and, and cool songs and all that stuff, you know, reminding everyone that, you know, uh, that's what it's really all about, you know, singing, playing, the real thing, Yeah. Now, would, would you ever get back with Survivor again? Is that something that will never happen again, or would it happen, or? I don't, I can't foresee that ever happening again, no, I cannot foresee that. Now, how about the jingles? Are you still doing the jingles these days, or is that something that's in your past, too? It's kind of in my past, you know, a little bit here and there, but, you know, kind of, that, that business changed so much, you know, it's, it's just not the same. It used to be, uh, they, they required a lot more singers, but it, it, it all, you know, very rarely now do, you, do they need a singer, and it's basically jingles now, it's like something to do with Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. Now, you're a Chicago guy. How'd you end up in New York? Well, my wife, um, she worked for Reuters, and they wanted to transfer. They, they were closing up their operations in Chicago, so off to New York we went. And it didn't matter to me really that much where, you know, be, being there or not, you know. I mean, I could do what I do. And I had a home studio, so I could record stuff remotely. So it didn't matter. So how often do you record? I mean, do you record every day? Is it something where you want to get in, or do you write every day? Or what's your discipline? Especially because now you have this site that you, 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 you have this album. It's coming out. You have to be wonderfully excited. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all about you. What is your discipline as a writer and performer? I mean, how do you go about? Do you just sit there and go in every day? Or do you just, when you're inspired? Or do you have a schedule? Or how do you do this? Um, I have a schedule, but, you know, of course, the dogs and my son um, interrupt all that <laughs> frequently. <laughs> but basically, yes, I try to go down into my home studio and, you know, play the guitar, you know, play something. I've got a bunch of stuff in the works all, always, you know, that I'm working on. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a nice 
Vox amp and a you know a couple of good guitars and so I can always pick that up and you know make some noise and uh, yeah every day. How do you pick out a guitar? How do you how do you know what's a good guitar? Do you got do you feel it? Do you test drive it? I mean, you hear people have so many different guitars, and it's like and how do you know which guitar to use for which song? Well, the basics are you know you've got a Les Paul, you have a Stratocaster and a Telecaster, and I also have a Casino. Um, I got that because. Uh, you know, uh, uh, John Lennon had one, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's always, just, they're all good and they're all, you know, mainstays of, uh, you know, the guitar world. And so, you know, I've got one of each and I just pick, pick one up and play it. And, and I have a nice uh, Martin acoustic. So, you know, when I want to play acoustic guitar. What's the life range of your guitar? I always wonder, like, do guys, like, do you have them forever and you get tired of one, or do you just keep them? I mean, how does that work? Because it's got to be, if you write a great song on a guitar, you got probably want to keep that guitar around. I mean, how does one decide when it's time to move on to another guitar? Well, I mean, this is a big subject with, you know, some people where they have to have new guitars all the time. But <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with that. That bunch of guitars is fine. You know, and it's, it's you know, you you know you plug it into an amp or a different amp, you know, and it sounds different, you know. So, and there's all, you know, it's an amazing thing about a, a, a guitar. You can always find something, you know, unusual on it that you never heard before. Uh, it, it truly is amazing. Always find something. Now, you know, do you, now, do you ever get out and play live anymore? Just do you ever, like, stop by some places and gig a little bit, or is that something that you're not doing right now? Yeah, sometimes, but, but right now I'm, I'm really concentrating on the studio, the you know, it's always that thing, you know, you like to play live, then you like to go in the studio, and then you play live, and go in the studio. Like, right now, it's the studio. That's the main thing. Now, what's the working title of your new album? It's called, my working title is Dark Play. And now, how'd you come up with that? Um, that, you know, the songs, some of them are, are dark, about dark things, and, and some of them about, are about light things, you know, or, or, or uplifting things, but it really, the... You know, those two things go hand in hand. You know, it's like a, there is no lightness. There, I'm sorry, there is no light without darkness. And so there's going to be ten songs. Ten songs. Yeah. And now, how long? Because you said you're the old school. You like the ten songs. Are the songs like the four minute, four minute and thirty second song? Is there a short one and a long one? What's your What's your breakdown of them? The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> Ballads. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so are you, are you jamming some guitar, too? In between. Uh, yeah, I'm playing a lot of guitars on it. And just some of it sounds exciting, man. So you got, you got to be really pumped for this. You know, you got to be so excited for it to come out. And now when it comes out, are you are you going to – what do you, what happens then? Are you, are you going to try to sell it on uh, iTunes? Or what, how does it work? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all, all that. All that. The iTunes and, you know. And, and what's up? What, what's next in your future? We got to wrap up soon. What's what's coming up? Anything else besides the album? Anything long term plans? Well, that's my that's my long term plan right now. It, it is you know this record. You know I'm putting everything I I, I can muster into it, and um, it, it, I'm really excited about it. Though yeah, I'm, the uh, the guy I'm working with that's mixing it, he's he's also playing on it. And we're you know uh, it, it's really exciting. I'm really really excited about the way it's it's going. You know, I really am. And we expect the middle of June. You think that's when it's gonna come out? Yes. And that's good. Well, I'm, 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 I'm glad. I'm glad we got to get here and to touch. And now, now, when does your show air on Tom's Station? Now, you guys do that live, or do you record it? We record it. I believe it's gonna be a Friday night show, but uh, you know, it's <laughs> don't quote me. 
So. Now, is that something you would probably want to venture into, possibly? If someone up in, the, in where you live in New York said, hey, man, Dave, we got a show for you. Is that something, you, uh, an avenue of your career you'd like to try doing a little radio? Well, I'm always ready, willing to shoot my mouth off, you know, <laughs> voice an opinion. Yeah. Are, are you following the uh, politics? Are you following the races? Yes, I am. And uh, what do you think? You think you, what, what do you think is going to happen? Uh well, I, I hope to God that it's not Donald Trump for president. That's what I hope. That's me. Isn't it amazing? I mean, I think about it, how like how he's even like winning. I, I, I sit there for me and, you know, it, it's just amazing that we're in a time where he was he, he doesn't even I don't think he even wants to run. I think he did it as a uh, as an ego trip. And now he's winning. And it's like, holy crap, he's might be the presidential campaign. I think you put your finger on it. I think it, 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 it is an ego trip and, and he can't stop. You know, he's just it's it's a narcissistic kind of, you know, buzz that he's getting and it'll take him if it takes him right into the white house then he'll get that first day and all of a sudden you'll find out holy shit right <laughs> oh my god well I, I said someone needs to show him a picture of what the president looks like when he comes into the office and what he leaves and he'll go wait 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 i don't want to age i don't want to age that much the first day he meets with the national security team i think <laughs> will be an <clears throat> anyway so how the bear's going to do this year i don't know man i gotta talk to my buddy pete See, Pete Stacker, you know, my, my William and a Genius partner, I, I count on him to keep me tabs on everything in Chicago. So I got to call him up and say, he, he'll tell me, all right, this is it. This is what's going on. The coach, the fed, the quarterback, whatever, he'll tell me. Now, are you a Cubs fan too? Not so much. I, I, I'm i kind of a casual baseball okay. fan. You know, I, I would love, hey, by the I think a Cubs got a great pitcher, right? They got a guy who's come to see. Arietta, yeah. And then no, everyone's really excited about the Cubs. They're saying, this could be the year. This could be the year. So Yeah, I, no, I hope so. I hope so. They're due. They're due. Okay, well, I want to thank you for coming on. Now, do me a favor. Uh, give people all your social media so they can, they can keep up with you. Right. Okay. So, well, crap. My wife's not here to tell me. <laughs> well, I'm on your website. Your website is DaveBickler.com. That's right. And Facebook, which is just Dave Bickler, my Facebook page. Um, and uh, we have Instagram. we got Twitter. And they're all, it's all, it's all just Dave Bickler. You can find me on all that stuff. Isn't that good? No one took your name. Like, you know, there's always some, some idiot yeah, I, who takes I, a name. I still own my name. I know. But sometimes – because my, my uh, website is coopertalk.net because someone had coopertalk.com. My Instagram is coopertalk1 because there's another coopertalk. Thank God my Twitter's at coopertalk. And, yeah, uh, my Skype is dave.bickler29. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. But I'm, I'm glad we got to hook this up, man, because we, we had talked on uh, – on, um, on Facebook, and, uh, and I'm a fan, you know, and it's like any, anyone, you know, it's like I grew up near Philadelphia, so Rocky holds a, a a part in our hearts, and we, you know, I've been listening to you since you guys, that song came out, so uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Hey, Steve, yeah. And uh, remember people, so go check out Dave Bickler, uh, check me out, Facebook, uh, Cooper, Cooper Talk Radio, that's my new site, people, Cooper Talk Radio, send me some messages, I'll see what guests I can get, now that I'm recording out of home. I can get anybody from anywhere, so it's not like the studio I had. Uh, my website, coopertalk.net. Send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. Also, my other website, stopthesalt.com. Remember when I got out of the hospital? That was my uh, cookbook I wrote. So uh, sit there. You can, you can buy it at Amazon. You can buy it at Barnes & Noble. But if you buy it from me, I make more money and I'll sign it. And also, I'm joining SAG, so you can go to GoFundMe dot com slash cooper talk i have a whole bunch of incentive packages if you donate some money so do that so listen to dave dave i'm very excited about your new album we're looking at june right so when it comes out you're gonna be tweeting a lot yeah yeah i'll, I'll, 
I'll keep you posted, man. All right, man. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, man. Thanks, Steve. You have, right. a, you have a great day. Good to talk to you. Buddy. All right, bye-bye.